You know what happened in Philadelphia? I suppose you heard about it, didn't you? You didn't hear what happened in Philadelphia? A sickening thing happened in the zoo there. Petal. That's P-E-T-A-L. Petal, like a flower petal. Petal. The Philadelphia Zoo's 15-year-old African elephant thought zookeeper Ed Ricotta had some candy in his pocket. Many zookeepers do. And the elephants just help themselves to the snack with their trunks as the men clean their cages. Petal's snack yesterday was Ricotta's $92 paycheck. And we quote, I was just hanging on her truck trying to get it out of her mouth when help come. But the check had vanished inside the four-ton animal. The world has just eaten up your pay as fast as you get it. And uh, we have other animal news for you. We'd like to salute the magnificent, uh, magnificent Holstein... For those of you who are sporting fans, if you notice that sports today includes almost anything, I, I notice the Sports Illustrator will have chess news as sporting events, you know. And uh, so we might as well include uh, the Holstein world. The uh, Agriculture Department said today that a 1,450-pound middleweight cow named Ballard had broken the world's milk-producing record, more than 4,765 gallons during the 12-month period ending Monday. The five-year-old Holstein is owned by the Glen Lou Knoll Farm at Frederick, Maryland. And we'd like to salute that as a highlight. And uh, I'd love to see that on the wide, wide world of sports. Can you see Jim Jensen or Jim Jim or whatever? The, you know those guys, those fat-faced guys that wear those, uh, that wear those uh, funny little uh, blazers. There was at ABC Sports, you know. Brought to you by Rune Arledge. And he's milking a cow. And it causes the thrill of victory. The, the tragedy of defeat is brought to you every week by ABC. Let's see. Soil, Salem, Oregon. A shoplifter was captured shortly after he made off with a something from a local super... A ham from a local supermarket. He tried the trick again about ten minutes later with the same result. This guy kept trying to steal hams. You know, some guys get hang-ups. The culprit was a black Labrador retriever which entered the store by standing on the automatic door operator and then following his nose immediately to the ham case. The dog <laughs> the dog was released to his owner after damages for two lost hams and seven others that he had sampled quickly before he decided on the ones he took. So we'd have to salute that Labrador out there. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, he's working on his own scene. Yes, we have a picture here of a dog that swallowed a, a plastic model of a 747 jet. We'll put that away. And uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, yes, yes, uh, there's something I didn't want to talk about too much here. It's a little uh, sensitive. Uh, the British uh, have just elected a new Miss Hot Lips. Liz High, 26, a designer, has been selected as Britain's Miss Hot Lips. 
Sean Constiata Cullen, commissioned by a fashion firm to find the girl with the most passionate lips, said Wednesday he'd selected Miss High from among 53 passionate entrants. Quote, she made marvelous loose of her mouth. He said, tender aggression, I suppose you'd call it. Miss High said, I think I just like kissing. I didn't think I did it that well, but maybe I'm just naturally the hot type. Uh, that's the decline and fall of the British Empire. Just drop them down there, Jerry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just lay them down quick. All together. There we go. All together. Now let's go. Hold it. We have a technical question here, dear Shep. How come your commercials come in so well, but when you come on, the signal fades? I'm trying to listen here in Farmington, Connecticut, but my brother has the TV on, and I suspect that that is lousing up the signal. He prefers Bob Holt to you. Some lowbrow, huh? Signed a disgruntled listener in Farmington, Connecticut. PSA, hi to Tony for me. Who the hell is Tony? Well, I gotta say. I'll say hello to her friend if I see her, but I don't know who she is right after. I wonder if he's talking about the Tony I once knew in Canton, Ohio. Ho, ho, ho. I'd love to say hello to her for you, friend. Yes, indeed. The only way she really appreciated. Well, I'll tell you why the commercials come in so loud on our show, and if you've wondered about this, we have a green button that we press here. All television radio stations have it. They call it the green button which uh, logically is what it is. It's the green button. And when a commercial comes on, we press the green button, which increases our power to over 7.5 million kilowatts. This is done on all television and radio stations. The minute the commercial comes on... Instantly, it comes on so loud you can't control it. Some radios can pick it up even when they're turned off. And, of course, uh, immediately after the commercial, we push the black button, which means regular programming, which makes it inaudible. Does that answer your question? Any other technical questions out there, friends? By the way, the green button has an inscribed dollar sign on it so that there's no mistaking when that button should be used. And I just thought you ought to know. We're having all kinds of material coming in here. Here's a note here. My uncle had a beagle named Jiggy who once stole a roast beef from the guy across the street. (laughs) Oh, yours, Lee? Lee Brown. Lee says her uncle had a beagle named Jiggy who once stole a roast beef. You mean he just went in the house and grabbed uh, the roast beef and ran down the street? The only problem was that the guy who owned the roast beef originally happened to be the police chief of Haverhill, Massachusetts. I'll bet there was a lot of excitement on that moment. Was it a nice roast? Was it, was it a round roast or was it a... I see, very good. About a six-pound good Sunday roast, I see. And Jiggy made off with it. Well, did, did Jiggy eat it then? Now, may I ask how, how, uh, how much Jiggy got as a result of that? He got it all the way, huh? 
track shoes on the behind? Is that what he got? I see. At seven paces. Well, uh, <laughs> Jiggy, uh, you know, Jiggy represents that. Uh, I wonder how many of you read, remember the story I did in Playboy about the bumpus hounds. And, uh, yes, dear. Your uncle took a shot at him, but he missed, but it was close enough to scare him. Very good, very good. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, now, let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. Let's get down to what it's all about. New London, Connecticut. Did you see the piece in the paper? Is this something I don't even want to re really bring up, but I guess it has to be brought up. Very serious here. New London, Connecticut, for six months now. Well, you know how New London is. Connecticut is a very nervous state. Uh, you know, they have, uh, it's, a, it's a New England state. And the New England states are particularly nervous about a lot of things. They're, uh, you know, the old expression, uptight. Well, they are, you know, it goes all the way back to Eugene O'Neill and all that stuff. And, and uh, they've got the Protestant ethic and everything going. Man, I tell you, it's, it gets pretty tight up there. But anyway, for six months now, hundreds, perhaps thousands of this city's smokers, that's New London, Connecticut, have been saving their cigarette packages intent on redeeming them for... Well, something great. For what? Well, some have saved them for a seeing eye dog to help a blind child cross streets. Other for an artificial limb to be used by a crippled child. Still others for wheelchairs or open heart surgery. This insane craze has swept New London and has reached into factories, a local department store, shipyards, a hospital, and a newspaper plant. One diligent smoker filled his car's trunk with cigarette packs, securing the knowledge that there was good that would come of it all. But alas, he was wrong. The day a New London newspaper reported on the craze this week and traced it to its supposed source, the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, a spokesman for the firm said, Nobody he knows wants to redeem empty cigarette packages. Certainly not R.J. Reynolds. The Day, which is a paper, has been the target of an increasing number of angry phone calls recently asking how to go about redeeming the empty packs. And like employees at Lawrence Memorial Hospital and the giant electric boat shipyards here, employees at The Day had also been bitten by the urge to do good by saving their empty packs. The tobacco company spokesman dismissed the craze as a result of, quote, rumors. And, of course, he's in North Carolina, so I'll have to use my North Carolina accent, which is a very popular accent. Uh, how, do, or how or why such rumors originate, we do not know. Our company does not have an offer like this, and to our knowledge, neither does any other tobacco company. Around the plant now, it's known as cigarette wrapper rumor. They're going ape out there. One sailor from the Navy base on the Thames in New London, Connecticut, had the explanation. Several weeks ago, he said R.J. Reynolds offered to donate one seeing-eye dog as an inducement to servicemen to turn into wrappers so merchandisers could conduct a survey of which brands were being smoked. But R.J. Reynolds denied that that was even true. So, a lot of people in New London have been holding their cigarette wrappers. They've been left with them, man. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but when the story was finally out by the paper, one lady from Mystic, uh, I don't know whether you've been in Mystic, Connecticut, but that's a well-named town. One lady in Mystic called the day, volunteering to take the packs off everybody's hands since it's been discovered to be a hoax around here. 
And here's what she says. There's this little girl in upstate New York, and part of her hospital bill is paid with every thousand cigarette wrappers that it turned in. So if you would please send the wrappers to me, I would make sure that... And on and on and on, this myth goes. Now hold it there. Now hold it there, Big Herb. Now why am I telling you all this? Well, that's not a new rapper rumor. It is not. In fact, one of the one of the most devastating scenes of my childhood. You know, uh, I've always admired guys like I know. Don't don't put yours down. I know all about yours, Lee. So don't write yours down. I'm going to tell you something. One of the one of the things I've always admired about about you know really official writers like Eugene O'Neill is that their background, their family life consisted of tremendous, fantastic traumas and involved stuff like emasculation and the loss of identity, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they, they always write things like uh, uh, the long journey, something, something home, stuff like the great ape man Sweeney. And uh, whereas my home life consisted of the following types of dramatic scenes. All right. Are you interested in the dramatic scene, the real life? The reason I, I I read this piece and I said, oh, no. Not the old thing, the old wound, the old scab coming off again. Not again. I mean, I'm just going to guarantee you, 20 years from now, kids are going to talk about how their idiotic old man saved R.J. Reynolds' rappers. They figured he was going to get a new Ford, right? Well, let me tell you the story. My old man, see, he was a smoker. And he smoked Lucky Strikes. Well, now, smokers have a great deal in common with other religious types. For one thing, they really believe in smoking. And it's difficult to get them to, you know, to lay off. It's, it's almost as difficult to get the smoker to quit smoking as it is to get a Buddha to quit being a Buddha. And for many of the same reasons, it's a mystical thing. It's a, it's a deep thing way down inside the marrow of his bones. Well, they also tend to identify themselves with their cigarettes. Uh, you've seen the Terratin ads where it shows this guy turning around. He's got a shiner. Yeah, we Terratin smokers would rather fight than, you know. He doesn't think of himself as a Baptist or an Irishman or whatever it might be or a Catholic. He thinks of himself as a, you know, ex-smoker. Wake many guys up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you say, what are you? I'm a Chesterfield man. Well, it's a very serious problem. So the old man thought of himself alternately. He couldn't quite make up his mind like many men torn in the currents of 20th century life. He couldn't decide whether he really was a an Oldsmobile man or whether he was a Lucky Strike man. So he would, you know, go between the two constantly. He also, incidentally, in case you're curious, was a Johnny Weissmuller man. He happened to be a, a, a fantastic devotee of Tarzan of the Apes. And he would travel like, you know, 20,000 miles to see a Tarzan movie. Because, I don't know, he must have identified with her or something. I don't know. Either that or he had a thing on Jane. But uh, nevertheless, one day the old man comes home, see, and my mother was always saying, you, if, we, if we had, if we just had half the dough you spend on cigarettes, we could afford to finally pay off the Oldsmobile. So, uh, you know, the old man just laugh at that uh, because he, he, you know, he was a smoker. You don't talk about those things to a smoker. So, no, the, the mistake of smoking is a very special mistake, and I'll not go into it here. However, the old man, he was a lucky strike man. He believed in lucky strikes. 
And uh, he used to, for example, and I'm not, I have no connection. These are not commercials. I'm not, nothing to do with the, any of these cigarettes that may be mentioned. But they are a phenomenon of our time. And so the old man would always listen to the, to the uh, hit parade, you know. And they had this guy go, The old man really felt great about that, see, because he, he could hear. And then they'd say, And now Mr. L.W. Carruthers, famous tobacco auctioneer of Fig Newton, Dismal Seepage, North Carolina, says the following about Lucky Strikes. I've been selling Lucky Strike and all kinds of tobacco all my life now, and I'll tell you that they smoke better, they smoke easier, they're so rich and round and ripe and so easy on the draw. Lucky Strikes buy the best tobacco everywhere. So the next time you hear, the old man would sit back, you know, and uh, he felt justified. <laughs> and he loved this. Uh, uh, his favorite radio announcer, for example. And by the way, you people who keep writing me as a radio announcer, I am not a radio announcer. I have never been, nor ever will be, nor ever aspire to be a radio announcer. I'm no more a radio announcer than, the, than say, Bob Hope is a tap dancer. <laughs> I'm not a radio announcer. But uh, uh, his favorite radio announcer was a radio announcer who used to do... There were two radio announcers who did the hit parade, and he'd listen to them every week. It was his favorite radio show. The old man used to flip over it. And one of them used to say, So round, so firm, so fully packed. Who was the announcer who said that tremendous deep voice? So round, so firm, so fully packed. LSMFT, Lucky Strikes, means fine tobacco. Who did that? Well, I said it about 26 trillion times on the air, so much that I was ready to flow up, you know. But the old man loved it, see? Who was that announcer? He had a great name for a radio announcer. Come on. There were two... And I'm not asking you, because you don't know. You're dumb. But there must be somebody out there who knows this radio. Now, this is a trivia question, a true one. Now, who was it who used to say, so round, so full, so... No, so round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. They would say that right at the beginning of the show. Who was, the, who was that announcer? I'll give you a clue. He had, prior to his career as a radio announcer, get this, been an opera singer and sang at the Met. There's something to handle for you. Now, that's a true trivia question. The other guy who was an announcer on the show was a comic, or sort of a comic, and he was famous for a comic characterization he did. And he also did part of the other commercials. He'd, he'd come on and say, yes, lucky strikes mean fine tobacco, LSMFT. They had all these announcers who would say, yes, yes, lucky strike, fine tobacco, LSMFT. About nine guys would say it. And there were two chief announcers. Who were they? Come on, you guys. What's the matter with you? So the old man is sitting out there, see, listening to this every week. I'll let you think about that. Why do I know all this jazz and all the rest of you have got that dumb look on your map? I mean, <laughs> and don't say, well, what do you mean? Uh, these same guys continued to do it until well into the mid-50s. So it's not like it was, you know, 1906. So anyway, the old man comes home one night, see, and he's all excited. 
And he says to me, I'm a kid, see, and at that time I was collecting match covers. I was going through this phase, you know, and the kids go walk around. And I, everywhere I went, see, I would look in the in garbage cans and in ashtrays and in the gutters looking for match covers. You know, these uh, I used to collect all kinds of things like match covers and the gum wrappers of exotic gums and stuff. And so uh, the old man comes home, and he sits down at the, at the kitchen table, and he says, Now, look, kid. And I said, Yeah. He said, Now, listen. He says, Any... Lucky Strike wrapper you find, bring it home right away. I want you to start collecting Lucky Strike wrappers. I said, why? Which is an obvious question. He says, don't ask no questions. And don't tell any of the kids you're collecting these things. You collect every Lucky Strike wrapper that you can get your hands on. And this kid, what's this kid you go around with all the time, Schwartz? And that other one, Flick, the tall, skinny one? All right, you get Schwartz and Flick to collect them. And I'll tell you what, you tell those kids, I'll give them a dime for every 25 packages, old packages they collect, right? I says, a dime for every 25 packages? He says, 25. Oh, come on. They said, obvious dill docs. No, Don Wilson was never on that show, and Robert Merrill never said LSMFT. Please, stupidity is rampant in this. And that shows how fame is. That shows how fame is. You know, that's uh, that's like if I were to come on and say, uh, who said, want to buy a duck? Who was a famous American comedian all over the world for a while there. And five guys call up and say, Fred Allen. Oh, <laughs> oh come on. Stop calling in, you're too stupid. You don't know, so forget it. But uh, nevertheless... Uh, the old man said, uh, look, he says, I'm going to give you 10 cents for every 25 wrappers that you bring home. Well, you know, this was a lot of jack, especially since we were collecting all this other stuff free, see? So the next morning, me and Schwartz and Flick started on the great Lucky Strike wrapper hunt. Well, now, I don't know what... <laughs> I just would like to give you give you a, uh, a tip if you're, if you're curious about uh, this kind of thing. Uh, you know, you don't really recognize the thing as being so omnipresent until you actually start looking for it. Now, I'll give you an example. If uh, that is correct, that is correct. Somebody called in the name of the guy that used to say, all right, I'll, I'll get you off the hook. Now, hang up. Don't call up anymore. Stop calling. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, but uh, if you if you start looking for a thing, something which has been there all the time, and you're suddenly aware of it, you will be astounded at how prevalent that thing is. Now, for example, you, you drive along the street, see, all the time. You walk around all the time. And uh, you probably, uh, nobody's ever called your attention to the fact that everywhere you go, there are beer cans. Now, the minute you become aware of that fact, in other words, somebody says, I want you to give, uh, give me a, a count of the number of beer cans you see in the average uh, uh, hour that you spend in your life, you would be astounded at the number of beer cans that are every place. It's incredible. Uh, now, let's take something even more, uh, uh, let's say, unusual. If somebody says to you, I want you to give me, uh, I'll give you a dime for every old shoe you can find in the next hour of just walking around out here in the fields. You'd probably have $40 at the end of an hour. 
and you would never have noticed those old shoes laying around all over the place. You know, the ground is covered with stuff that you hardly ever notice. Uh, anybody who's like, like uh, I happen to be a guy that likes to, you know, fix cars and all that kind of stuff. Any time that I need something, all I do is look around for it within a within a fifty foot radius. If I if I need a nail, I'll look around. I'll find a nail. You'll find one. If you <laughs> if you need a bottle cap to pry something up, you look around. You'll find a bottle cap. If you need a piece of wire, just look around. You'll find a piece of wire. The ground is covered with this stuff. Well. Schwartz and Flick and myself and Bruner set out that following Saturday looking for Lucky Strike packages. Well, I want to tell you, just Lucky Strike packages. By the end of that day, we had one and a half gunny sacks filled. Gunny sacks. I mean gunny sacks. Well, we were going to get the dime for every 25 we collected. And we went up and down the alleys, up and down the streets. We just walked all over town, see, picking up Lucky Strike wrappers. We had a gunny sacks full of them. Well, we bring them home, and the old man flips. He's, oh, great, see. So he starts peeling off the dough. And uh, he, every 25, he put a dime down. Well, the first day, we must have made about uh, my, my eight or nine bucks a crack, you see. So with that, we started to really seriously look for, for these things. We got other kids. We got Jack Martin involved. We got uh, Lawrence Stryker involved, Johnny Anderson. Steve uh, Stanley Roper was involved. We got Glenn Atkinson. All the, all the kids for blocks around to look for these things. See? And we gave them each a nickel for every 25. So we were making a 50% profit right there. You see, 100% profit. So we send these kids out. And I want to tell you, by the end of the second week, we must have had 45,000 rappers and the old man, you know, he couldn't even give us the money for it anymore. We're just bringing them in. Guys were bringing them in by wagon loads. They were dragging in old Lucky Strike cartons. Well, the old man would sit down in the basement at night. He had this big round table down there that he and Zudok and Gertz used to play cards on. So every night, he'd sit down there with these wrappers. Now, the wrappers had inside of them, if you have ever looked at a, at a cigarette wrapper, they have this uh, tinfoil a paper-lined inner sack, you know, that the inner wrapper that the cigarettes go in. Well, if you open up the, the bottom of the cigarette wrapper, the bottom part, where, where it's folded up, you'll find there's a number in there. Did you know that? There is, correct? Now, it may be on the top in some cigarettes, some, you know, different brands, but there is a number in every package of cigarettes. So the old man is saying, no, it's inside. It's not on the outside, so don't look at it on the outside. You have to unfold it. It's inside the wrapper. So the old man has got all these wrappers piled up, see, down in the basement, and he's got a light bulb, and he and Zudok are sitting down there every night opening up all these wrappers, see, and they're spreading them out. And some of them, you know, had uh, had mud on them, we'd find. Others had, uh, you know, all kinds of unmentionable stuff. We found them in the any place we found them. See, the old man didn't care, see. He just wanted these wrappers. And the only kind of wrapper, that's right, the, he, he made a rule. He says the only wrapper he wanted was the one that still had the silver thing inside of it, you know, the, the silver package inside. So he's opening these things out, and he's smoothing them out, and he's putting them all over in a big pile, and he's reading these numbers, and he's writing all these numbers down. All these numbers are being written down, and he's writing them on big sheets of paper. He's got a ledger there. And he's, he's keeping a record of all the numbers. Well, he must have had 25 pages of them. And he's, you know, writing all this stuff down. This went on for about, oh, I'd say roughly a month. Something like that. 
And uh, the old man has got all these wrappers all piled up down in the basement. He's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wrappers now. I, it's it's uh, hard to estimate. Now, he must have had about nine gunny sacks filled with wrappers, all of which he paid for. And uh, he was spending his vacation money and everything like that. He was obviously going for broke, see? So uh, he had all these wrappers. Well, finally, the day comes. It was a black day. This is, uh, I, you know, you heard of the, the, you know, the bad day at Black Rock. Well, I want to tell you, this was a black day on Cleveland Street. It was a bad day. The old man would come home every day, and he would run in the house. This is what he did always. He'd come rushing into the kitchen, and as he comes, he's peeling off his clothes. He was that type. When as soon as he hits the kitchen floor, off comes his shirt and his ties flying. By the time he hits the uh, Oh, roughly gets in the middle of the dining room. He's down to his BVDs. And by the time he hits the living room, there's nothing. You know, he's got one shoe on, see. So uh, he would always rush in and look at the dining room table where my mother would put the mail of that day, see. Okay? Well, on this fantastic day, which I will never forget because of the blow-up that happened, there was a pile of mail, all this kind of mail. He used to get there. The kind of mail he really only got was the kind with the with the uh, glass windows on it. You know, he could very every time he'd get one of those, he'd get mad. So it was always bills and that kind of jazz. So uh, he comes in this day, and I'm home. He came home about an hour after I'm home from school. So he came home about 5.30, something like that, from the office. The car roars up. Little did we realize that it was going to be one of those days that's going to echo throughout the family history. And down in the basement, you could smell all his old moldering cigarette wrappers. He's got it all going there. And every day he would come home excitedly. He says, you got any more wrappers? And my kid brother would whip out his wrappers, and I'd have my cigar box full of wrappers, and he'd run down the basement and write the numbers down, right? So today, he comes running in the kitchen, and he says, uh, any, any mail? Any mail? My mother says, yes, it's on the dining room table. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, he runs in. And there, on the top of the pile of bills and stuff from various loan companies that started out with, said, uh, dear occupant, do you need $300 on your signature only type stuff? Right on the top of it is a letter from the American Tobacco Company. The old man grabs the letter and he hollers, It's here! It's here! Hey, look! Look! It's here! Oh, wow! Hey, wow! He comes running into the kitchen, see, and he says, All right, he says, everybody sit down. Now you know why I'm going to... Be... Why? You all laugh at me, right? You all laugh at me because I was saving them Lucky Strike rappers, right? <laughs> oh, boy, wait till... Oh, man, wait till Gert sees this. Oh, boy, me and Zudok hit it big. Wow! And he says, All right, watch! And he takes this letter and he opens it up and he spreads it out on the table there and he's got his can of beer next to him. He says, now, listen what they say. Are y'all listening? Dear sir, we have no knowledge how the unfounded rumor that any special serial numbers found in Lucky Strike tobacco products will enable a man to receive a new Ford if he receives the proper number is absolutely erroneous and we thoroughly deny this. And as a matter of fact, if you continue to harass us in the following manner, we will have our attorneys contact you. Signed, the American Tobacco Company. And then he said it. I can't tell you what he said. If you're over 21, I'll send it to you. It was known as later years as the old man's lucky strike epithet. Unbelievable phrase he used. That night, he switched to camels forever 
And it later come out, as my mother was standing over the sink, you know, saying nothing. She knew when to say something. She knew when to not to say something. She's standing there over the sink. And finally, the old man says, I don't care. I want to tell you. So Sudok come to me the other day, and I mean, it's true. I don't know what they're trying to do. Do you know that if you get the right number, it has to be with a serial number F. If you get the right number, and they draw them someplace in North Carolina or something, if you get the right number, the American Tobacco Company will send you a brand new Ford. What are they explaining this letter for? This is ridiculous. I don't know who this fink is. What's his D.L. Carruthers? Who's he? And then my mother says, but do you remember the time that you, you, you saved all the Indian head pennies? That if you got the right penny, the Ford company would give you a brand new convertible Ford? Well, that's true. If you get the right penny. Yeah, I, I know because Zudok knows a guy that lives in East Chicago, Indiana, that actually got one. Are you trying to tell me that's not true? If you get the right penny, you send it into the Ford Company in Detroit, and they will send you a brand new Ford. She didn't say anything. She just hung over the sink. And right this minute, there are thousands of guys listening to us, right this instant, who know definitely that if you get the right cigarette wrapper, if you get the right penny, if you get the right baby Ruth wrapper, that somewhere there's a company that will send you a new car or a pony or send a kid through school or buy a new set of crutches for a blind man. Ah, sick tempore mores. Ah, Basil Risedale, we salute thee tonight. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. LSMFT. Basil Risedale, by the way, was the opera singer we were referring to. Did you know he sang in the opera? Who was the other announcer? You mean you never heard of Kenny Delmar? Senator Claghorn? I, I, I say, son, I say, son. Of course. Ah, it's everywhere. The shades of ignorance are drifting down like elephant monster dandruff from the, from the skies of chicanery. I happen to know, though, I, I don't want to tell you this, but if you get the right... Now, now look, don't, don't mention it to anybody else because there may be too many guys being in on this. But if you get the right Pepsi-Cola bottle top, you know, the top, if you take the cork off, you'll find there's a number in there, a code number, under the cork. If you get the right number and send it to the Pepsi-Cola company, they will send you on a free trip around the world. If you get the right number. No, I know it's true. There was. Uh, listen, I heard about this guy over in Hackensack. Yeah, he split out one day after he drank a bottle of Coke and come back since. He got the right number, that guy. Of course, he also had a bad wife. No wonder he didn't come back. Exciting adventure in the series of Jack Armstrong Strikes Back. Brought to you by White Cloverine Sav. Uh, WOR New York. <laughs>